Hi, and welcome to Up the Creek, where we look at how institutions and individuals found themselves up the proverbial and dissect their efforts to reach calmer waters. I'm Mark Forbes. And I'm Ben Haslam. As journos, we prompted resignations and calls royal commissions. As consultants, we protect reputations when crisis comes. Today, we focus our reputation on the hits and misses of 2023, awarding the golden eye for turning a PR challenge into an opportunity, and the ignominious brown eye for the fail of a year. Ben, any early favourites for you? Well, it happened recently. I think it's fairly obvious it would have to be another Optus fail. It's pretty hard to beat. Total communications chaos from a uh, communications company. Then the voice fell flat, rubbing gloss off the Prime Minister and setting reconciliation back years, maybe a generation. Well... Picking the brown eyes the easy bit. Um, there's a Melbourne Cup field for that. We've got contenders every week. But the golden eye is tough. In the best handled crisis is they never go public. And it's not like we want to share those success stories, do we, Ben? Yeah, so let's go back to the first two weeks of January this year, if you can cast your mind that far back, Mark. And I, I'm going to nominate as one of the, I think, crises that was handled pretty well was Dom Perrottet, who was then the New South Wales Premier, and his infamous Nazi costume at his own 21st birthday party. Uh, the former Premier, I think he handled it really well. He, uh, In fact, even his, his opponent, Chris Minns, who is now the Premier of New South Wales, praised him at the time, which is a strange thing to do, perhaps. But he fessed up... He said, look, there's a photo around, I know, of me dressed up as a Nazi at my 21st birthday. He apologised. He, oper- he, he, he expressed deep regret. He rang all the Jewish leaders. And you know, he broke the yarn himself. He got out on the front foot. And, look, he lost the election, but it wasn't because of this. At the time, I think a lot of people thought he was going to resign. But he settled it down really quickly. It was a job well, well done. Yeah, I mean, that's a tip, isn't it, really? It's being able to get out in front and control the narrative and, and portray yourself in a way that, that that's that, that, that that's going to work. And he, he he did that well, more often than not, that they, uh, they don't. Another one was a global one, which got a lot of coverage here in Australia, which was the Burning Man uh, flood, for want of a better word. And they showed the benefits of preparation. When the, when the annual Burning Man extravaganza in the Nevada desert um, experienced torrential rain and flooding, um, the organisers responded appropriately both in actions and words. The flooding meant it was on what they call a pyre. It's a you know, dry lake bed. Uh, it effectively meant that the people who were there couldn't get out in with four-wheel drives. You certainly couldn't walk out. The mud apparently was up to their knees. And you know, this could have been a really nasty PR disaster. Well, I suppose in terms of preparation too, if you're running a festival, all you have to do is go and see the Woodstock movie to, uh, <laughs> to know that rain is a possibility and that can cause, uh, cause, cause massive, massive disruption. I mean, had they actually prepared? Yeah, they had. So what they did was they actually had this fantastic guide they sent to revelers, for want of a better word, beforehand. And they had a whole section on what happens with it if it rains, even in the desert. They had a Facebook page which they regularly updated. They had a radio channel um, on iHeartRadio. They, they had um, Wi-Fi towers they put around the site. They advised people before they came about all the things they needed for weather, wet weather, including battery-powered or solar-powered radios. Not sure how they work when it's raining, but anyway. Um, and they just provided lots and lots of information to festival goers. And beforehand, they had what they called tabletop drills. These are the organisers. So um, they they ran basically, a, I suppose, a crisis simulation, for want of a better word. This is what we're going to do if it rains. And it, it worked really well. Yeah. They're critical, aren't they, those things? Because they, 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 they stress test your plans and, and preparedness. And your people, but so often organisations aren't prepared to do that. I mean, 
I do love the fact, though, that the rain meant that they had to twice perform the climax of the, of the festival where they burned that giant wooden man, not because it was too wet, but because they couldn't get the fire safety equipment in to stop the fire spreading to the floods. Was- and they did finally found the flames, albeit a couple of days later, I think it was. But, look, the overall vibe from the festival was was very, very positive and they avoided the, you know, the horrible, oh, it was a disaster, I thought I was going to die, I thought I was no, never going to get out, no one told us anything, these people are idiots, I'm never coming back, none of that. And it's been recognised around the world by a lot of crisis experts as a really, really great textbook example of how not only to handle a crisis but be prepared. Well, it wasn't really just neutral, was it? Because it could have been a disaster, it could have been, you know, the death knell for the festival, but... They made it look fun and and they they actually had a, a really positive response from the people who went there. It actually played well on uh, it, it played well on social media, so it does go to show that uh, that that preparation matters. I mean back home I suppose I mean what what I noticed too is 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 the change in fortunes for for the Australian cricket team wasn't that long ago they were in the midst of of, of sandpaper Sandpaper Gate, uh, you know the 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 cheaters, the 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 obnoxious sort of Aussies on the field, but geez, a couple of uh, a couple of uh, big victories uh, in in foreign fields has has really set them off well. And I mean, doesn't doesn't Cummins look good as yeah. a captain, both yeah. both both on and off the field? And this was more than just you know a moral victory for the Australian cricket team. Um, but for activism throughout his career, you know, Cummins has been dubbed, you know, Captain Planet, uh, Captain Woke. Oh, that's right. I, he had, I hate he had, that term, yeah, Woke, yeah. Captain Woke. But he had that stuff for when, when there's – because there's been a fair bit of controversy around this year over sports and sports sponsorship where where you know, that intersection of branding and profile and celebrities and purpose has really come to a bit of a crunch. I mean, we had the um, – uh, uh, the the netballers who uh, who were basically well at least one of the indigenous players took offence at um, uh, at uh, at Gina uh, Reinhardt's uh, massively lucrative sponsorship uh, uh, of, of of the diamonds understandable a bit given that his dad had basically suggested breeding the Aboriginals out I think back in <laughs> uh, back back in the day but that whole sense of the impact of those sorts of issues on the reputations of the sports people, which they now recognise are incredibly valuable, and how it cuts both ways for the brand. And, and Cummins, um, uh, I mean, he did a few things. He came out in support of taking the knee uh, on Black Lives Matter. Um, and then as someone who believes in climate change, um, uh, took, uh, took some issues with, uh, with a major um, a fossil fuel generator, Winter Energy, um, uh, sponsoring Cricket Australia, wanting to be their major sponsor. Interestingly, mate, not that long after it, 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 it took its offer of a $40 million sponsorship off the table. Um, but... Cummins came to have it pretty well. It was interesting. It was interesting. He 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 stood up and basically said he was emboldened uh, by 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 the debates. I haven't seen him actually out front talking too much about climate issues subsequent, but um, uh, but uh, but he's he does look like someone. He looked like a genuine leader on and off the field. 
Helps when you win, though. I think that definitely helped as well. Oh, I think so. We love, we love, we we love winners, mate. When we love last gasp winners, um, but I suppose it, we've, we've got to make a call here. And um, I think if if, if we're going to recognise uh, the golden eye for this year, <clears throat> does come from the sports field, but it's uh, uh, it's not the cricketers. It's the women up front this time. I think you've got it off your cap to the Matildas, haven't you? That was it was an amazing year. Um, didn't quite make it through to the final of the the World Cup, but uh, got to got to the semis. And I mean, if you rewind back, twenty twenty two, I mean they were on the ropes. We were knocked out of the 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 Asian Cup, which was which was a comp that we were supposedly eschewing to win. Um, we we dropped out of the the the, the FIFA top ten rankings in the world. And then uh, Tony's stuffs and experiment a bit with players, and we lost badly a couple of friendlies, and there was massive calls for his uh, uh, for his uh, resignation. Wasn't today, it? yeah, and today they're the undisputed number one team across all sports in Australia. Uh, they're even above Collingwood, uh, following a run to the semis of the World Cup, and some really smart marketing along the way. It's estimated their brand value has increased from around $40 million to more than $200 million just during the Women's World Cup alone. That's a five-fold increase. And it wasn't just their on-field performance that impressed. I mean, it was... They came across and, listen, I suspect they are. They did actually seem like a really nice bunch of a bunch of, of women. They, they played exceptionally when it counted, but... They they also I mean like Pat Cummins are prepared to use their, their their profile I suppose for the greater good. They recorded a video during the World Cup uh, pointing out the discrepancy in male and female prize money, um, and really strongly pushed FIFA for international pay parity with the men. At the moment, I think they get about a quarter of the uh, uh, of, of, of of the prize money of uh, of the blokes. And it just seemed like such a smart performance. I think from them as individuals, the marketing people behind the team and the managers who are looking after their their images, they 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 did it. They did it really well. It's interesting. They limited their media cage. They didn't do a lot of media. They made sure when they spoke. They Ma- spoke. Well, the coach to, wouldn't what, let them. No, <laughs> it was part of the reason. And I think it was it was at Channel Seven or one of the media organisations actually hired a helicopter and flew above. The training ground. I mean, I know for a fact that the the marketing guys at um, Football Australia did did have a bit of work to do to convince those in authority that to to put the Matildas on an equal footing with the Socceroos. They just and they obviously did, and they did it really really well. But social media was such a huge factor, I think, in in the Matildas. Um, they were their most you know chilling their most authentic selves on on across all social media channels. Sam Kerr has one point eight million Instagram followers. And she used the platform not just to promote herself, but actually to promote her teammates. So, you know, look at the names now that you instantly recognise them. Mary Fowler, Courtney Vine, Ali Carpenter, Steph Catley, Mackenzie Arnold, the goalkeeper. Um, everyone knows them now. It's just absolutely remarkable. Well, I think for a while there, Sam Kerr's calf was trending number one on uh, on uh, on Instagram. That sense of, will she play, won't she? Uh, there's nothing about, uh, you know, that, that, that sense of both hope and expectation and potential disappointment. 
It's a great storyline to pull in the plunders, and she played that so well. Yeah, we're not suggesting that she didn't have a calf strain, by the way, just in case you think that was the case. Um, look, I think Gen Z and the Millennials also played a huge role in the success of the Matildas. I love this line from Kevin Argus at RMIT University who, who noted that the World Cup felt inclusive and safe, and I think that's absolutely true. This is what Kevin said. He said, Gen Z have a lived experience that is more diverse, inclusive, and fair-minded than um, earlier generations. This is reflected across the women's teams in the competition with a record 96 women identifying as LGBTQ, according to Outsports.com. Matt, you forgot the plus. What's wrong? I thought, you were, I thought you were woke. I'm quoting, I'm quoting, I'm quoting, okay? So I'm sorry if I've misquoted you there, Kevin, but that's what I read. Um, and also, look, just the, the other thing too is around the marketing. Look, a shout out to, to my old friend, um, Jen Bramble, who heads up PR at News Corp. Uh, and Mark, you'd know Jen as well because we, we all work together for different newspapers in Melbourne in the dim distant past. Right. You work for the Evil Empire and I work for Fairfax. Yeah, that's guys. right. Um, that's, that's the great. Age, one of the world's great newspapers, <clears throat> apparently. Anyway, moving on. Um, but apparently the, the story goes that Triple M in Brisbane were talking about the World Cup and they kept referring to the Courier Mail as the Courier Mail. So much, so much publicity were they giving to Sam. And um, Jen saw the transcript, so she rang the editor of the Courier Mail and said, look, could we, could we actually possibly change the masthead to Courier Mail? And they went, yeah, okay, let's give it a go. And so we got the Courier Mail, but we also got the Herald Sam, the advertised Cur in Adelaide, and the Daily Telegraph up here in, in Sydney. So News Corp obviously saw this as an opportunity to grow their own brand, but also, you know, an opportunity also to promote women's sport, which I think was brilliant. They created the Sam Kerr Mega Wall poster, um, and you got a quarter of the poster each day in the newspaper and then obviously you <laughs> stuck them together. And so, hey, that meant people went out and bought the paper for four days in a row. Or, yes, you could download them from the from the website, but guess what? You had to take out a subscription to be able to do so. So um, clever marketing by News Corp and great marketing for the Matildas as well. But, but I think there was great marketing all around. You had, you had a team that was playing great, had accessible people who, who sounded good, um, on the on the on the crest of crest of the wave in, in many senses in terms of changing attitudes to sport and particularly women's sport, but it was both that comms approach and much as I hate to say it, but I th- I think the marketing really helped. I mean, I, there was so many of those really th- those ads with the little kids, you know, the you know the 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 the, the athletes as five year old girls sort of growing up. It was just really personable and engaging, and I think it was really looking at how all those different facets of things that plays into reputation and image, if done well together, it's got an effect. Then, then the um, uh, that's greater than the whole, and not hurt by the fact you've got an actual global superstar in in Sam Kerr. Who, who uh, congratulations, Sam! You've won the Golden Eye. Um, hopefully she'll find a space for it in the in the trophy cabinet. Straight to the pool room, I reckon. And I don't know. I reckon Sam might have a pool room. Interesting to know. She might have a pool in the pool room. I suspect, mate. These days. <laughs> um, but uh, but time to move on to the uh, the uh, the award that uh, everyone talks about, but no one wants to get the brown eye. 
Okay, so first we get to, before we get to the brown eye though, and I've got to chuckle here. Two blokes get together. No matter, no matter what our ages are, we always have to have a you know a bit of a poo joke in there, don't we? Um, so we should make brief mention first of. In fact, I drove through it on the way here to to record this podcast. Uh, the current Roselle Interchange schmozzle. Mate, you Sydney's know nice. you know that no one outside of Tinseltown gives a stuff about your Sydney traffic. Yeah, I understand. Look, I know the rest of Australia couldn't care less, but how were billions and billions of dollars spent? on one of the biggest underground motorway interchanges in the world, and then it opened to the mother of all traffic jams. It completely defies explanation. In fact, Aussie Hollywood star Rebel Wilson even instant her frustration to the world. Quote, Thanks, Roselle Interchange, for now making a 15-minute trip into the city 90 minutes via Victoria Road. WTF! Exclamation mark! Exclamation mark! Now, if that was a Rebel impersonation, that has to be the worst I've ever heard, mate. But... <laughs> Again, another sign of how social media can infect and escalate a crisis. Hey, I've seen Pitch Perfect plenty of times. Um, That said, despite the cluster of trucks, Transport for New South Wales and the state government have actually handled this pretty well, at least from a communications perspective. There were regular press conferences, statements released via social media, interviews with the department head Josh Murray and the Rose Minister John Graham, officials along the route guiding people in the right direction, etc. So, look... What was a dreadful crisis, really, or issue, was, I think, handled as, as, as well as could be expected. But the biggest winners, without doubt, to get a bit of politics into this, are the Greens. They oppose this entire project, and it sits right in the middle of their inner west heartland. The seats of Belmain and Newtown in particular, uh, their voters were affected. At least Labor can blame the previous coalition government who oversaw its planning and construction. Well, mate, at least we have nominated and then sort of knocked out of contention in one fell swoop for the brand eye, uh, that mob. But So let's get back to it. But, I mean, mind you, mate, it's going to be hard to top last year's inaugural winner <clears throat> where we had the founder of Grilled and CEO of Lark Distilleries. A lot of money in distilleries these days. Um, he tried to duck and weave when the Australian, and no lesser journo than Sherry Markson, who's like a dog at a bone, uh, I can tell you from experience, um, got hold of a video of him shirtless smoking a crap pipe and, let's say, talking dirty down the video call. Um, how dirty? Mm, let's say very dirty, mate. Uh, I don't think it would work as a seduction technique, but uh, but here but here we go. And uh, mate, this this Jeff Rainbridge broke <coughs> uh, had had the, the the bright idea to to get out of this when when uh, when Sherry called and said we're going to run it. Um, they he got on to his his PR team who ran back the Australian and said yes we don't worry. We'll, 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 yeah, we'll give you the story. We just need a day or two because there's a lot more going on here than you think. It's not, it's not what you think, and we'll come back to you. Um, and then they basically conduct, conduct, uh, concocted this story around his um, uh, bizarre profanity and behaviour. I mean, this guy, seriously, in front of a camera, smoking a crack pipe, dressed only in his underwear, and they're pretty daggy white jocks from, from, from memory as well. And he came, he, came up, he came up with the excuse that this was all part of an elaborate extortion attempt that happened when he was in Singapore several years ago, taken to a hotel room, and I don't remember what happened next, but they've been after money ever since. Um, so in their wisdom... They shop this to uh, they shop this to the age, um, 
and uh, which then runs out the story, not just the lines around the extortion attempt, but how the Australian had somehow been a patsy in this. Geez, that's really going to win friends and influence people over the evil empire side of the fence. You could say <laughs> that from you could say that from uh, experience, but um, of course, Sherry, when when saw this, hit the roof, had a look at the video, and then they decided to do some detective work. And uh, so the, this video of this supposed Singapore hotel room, when they actually put the magnifying glass to it, they identified a number of very distinctive features in the room and ornate cornices and so on. Then went to the photos of the two or three months earlier in Domain, where Jeff had been trying to flog his house in the, in the, in South Melbourne, and identified the very same features. Uh, so uh, they managed to uh, they managed to uh, get the story of how the how the age had been caught as a patsy in this bizarre uh, bizarre exercise. To, to me, mate, it is still incomprehensible how a competent PR person also a competent journo, would get served up a story like that and think this doesn't pass the pub test, mate. It, um, it, so, so I think, mate, I find it hard to see how that can be topped this, this year, but, but who do you fancy? Yeah, well, let's just go back overseas again uh, for a brown-eye potential uh, and go back to women's football. Uh, and that brings up Kissgate at the World Cup final here in Sydney. I, I don't know what we would have, would have done without Watergate, but it's Kissgate. Spanish Football Federation bo- boss Luis Rubiales kissed Spanish player Jenny Hermoso on the lips during the medal presentation following the World Cup final. He said it was consensual. She said it was not. And this was all in the backdrop of massive tension between the women's side and the administration over pay, over selections, a bunch of their best players had refused to to play. They wanted to coach sack. But, I mean, the response was just bizarre in the sense that um, uh, uh, this was, you know, this outcry, including from members of their own national team, was, he described them as simply complaints from idiots and stupid people. You couldn't make this stuff up. It seems the Me Too movement hadn't reached the highest levels of Spanish football. The whole drama played out for four weeks. I mean, how you could let something like this drag on for four weeks with Rubiales refusing to resign even when the National Football Federation eventually asked him to. So let's have a look along the way at some of the things that happened. So Rubiales was hit with a restraining order after Jenny Hermoso filed sexual assault allegations against him. Dozens of Spanish female footballers issued a statement saying they did not feel safe playing for the national team. Spanish prosecutors filed a lawsuit against Rubiales for sexual assault and coercion. That carries a sentence of up to four years in prison. He's still there. An investigation by FIFA, which provisionally suspended Rubiales after he claimed he was the victim of a, quote, witch hunt by, quote, false feminists. And Spanish women taking to the streets to say, and excuse my Spanish, si acabo, which apparently means it's over. It's so, a bit more like Rebel Winsel there, mate. <laughs> that's right. And so on. I mean, seriously, buddy, read the room. He should have been gone in a matter of days. Yeah, it, it's it's crazy. It's it's hanging around. It's not realising that your time is up and you're saving yourself and your organisation by going quickly is really the answer. And that was Alan Joyce's problem as well this year, wasn't it? <laughs> well, it was one of the Irishman's problems, but uh, sacking most of your permanent workforce, selling tickets on phantom flights and forcing people to stay on hold for four hours, if they were lucky, certainly didn't help. 
not to mention allowing the perception to take hold, which Joyce did try to correct towards the end, that Qantas had received millions of taxpayer dollars during COVID just to prevent shareholders' dividends, just to protect and, and shareholders' was, dividends while this, seemingly cancelling every second flight post-COVID. And this was during one of these drawn-out, I'm going to go but not quite yet resignations. That just They just never work. And... and I think, that, mate, those phantom flights were the were the last floor. Yeah. You just you just you just you just can't defend that. Yeah, and look, the the, the it became a, a a popular pastime in Australia, didn't it? Just to beat up on Qantas, uh, but then they replaced him with a member of his executive team. That's questionable. Vanessa Hudson was Qantas's chief financial officer, and therefore she could be seen not as a solution, but as part of the problem. And I'm and I'm not judging Vanessa Hudson for one minute. She may do a brilliant job, but it's just that perception. And time will tell. They have got a you know a fleet refresh coming along and plenty of discounted tickets. There are actually loads of um, frequent flyer tickets available at the moment. Um, so you know Hudson may write the ailerons, as they say in the business. They say the ailerons. They keep the plane. They keep the plane level, Mark. I think that will do. But... But, mate, what about our other big contenders for Brown Eye? Well, it has to be Optus, doesn't it? I mean, it's fresh in our minds. The telco loses its entire mobile phone and internet network, leaving millions of Australians waking up to cyber isolation. Um, and it takes several hours for the CEO, Kelly Bayer-Rosmarin, to even conduct one media interview. And in the interim, the communications minister, Michelle Rowland, fronts the media, further enforcing the view that Optus was impotent and the whole situation was out of its control. But that, yeah, it's that golden rule of crisis comms, isn't it? Don't leave a vacuum because someone else is going to come in and fill it. Um, you lose control of the message and when you're silent, it looks like you're hiding something. And then when she finally did start talking, she blamed her parent company, Singtel, for the outage, which may or may not have been true. She backflipped on that, on that claim subsequently, but... In any workplace, I think blaming blaming the boss for your biggest mistake is is not a good move. Was there a crisis plan? I mean, it, you, you'd certainly hope so, wouldn't you? But had Optus ever bothered to run a crisis simulation of an outage of this scale? I mean, surely after the disastrous breach, op, the data breach of twenty twenty two, they should have been you know pretty battle hardened. So, what are your what are your thoughts? Well, both times, it's it's the comms, it's the response where they failed, not being there. And they're not actually saying the things that cut through when they did. But <clears throat> bad as it was, I think uh, for for the brown eye, and hopefully we can get a special effects drum roll or something of the like, there can only be one winner. And in terms of both its scale and consequences, I don't believe for 2023 you can go past PwC. I mean... This is a firm that was so firmly on the government teat that has had to, as a result of this, sell its entire government consulting business in Australia for just a, just a pittance. It's the princely sum of $1. And I think that might have been $1 Australian, Mark, so it's actually about $0.67 cents US. <laughs> I mean... It's a, it, is, it is astounding, isn't it? It's, it? And you just think when you're playing both sides of the, the fence, you've got to have some precautions and some... Measures for probity and integrity. And I tell you what, PwC, if they had China's walls, they had to be made of cardboard, if that. I mean, <coughs> this was just a, a brazen breach of trust, ethics and law. Um, you advise Canberra on how to crack down on the big multinationals who were paying no tax. I think 
what eventually came out of it. They called the the Google tax, and yeah. there was basically thirty of our biggest multinationals that that weren't paying a cent uh, in tax. He helped them with that, and then um, you look at profiting from that. Uh, then you go and you you lie about the fact and you block any investigation into it. <laughs> I mean, this story goes back to 2014 when it was a tax partner of PwC, Peter Collins, signed a confidentiality agreement about advising treasuries on those crackdowns. And then when the government announced the laws, he was on the email to all the partners straight away saying this is a great business opportunity. I think he talked about a treasure trove at one point. Um, and they specifically targeted the people who they were supposedly helping crack down on tax avoided solve. Yeah, it's like selling somebody a home security system and then going around <laughs> telling all the local burglars how to get through the home security system. Uh, but it's also damaging not just for PwC. I mean, it's damaging for the, for the other big four um, who do make huge amounts of money out of government consultancy. I mean, there's an argument that it's actually sort of um, dumbed down our public service because they they do so much outsourcing now. So, look, you know, maybe there is a silver lining out of this that we'll get we'll get better and brighter people in the public service and we won't be spending billions of dollars on uh, consultants. Your naivety is touching. Except, there, except for communications <laughs> consultancies, of course, who are very important. But, <clears throat> I mean, it's, it's often, you know, you go back to Watergate, it's the cover-up that kills you. And... Just astounds me that that from 2016, the ATO was getting suspicious, asking questions, and PwC refused to cooperate and effectively stymied any investigations. And then last December, the Tax Practitioners Board announced that it had deregistered Collins as a tax agent for two years. The Australian Financial Review pressed PwC for details, downplayed the issue, denying its leadership was aware of what happened. And when the board's CEO appeared before Senate estimates in February, he revealed that between 20 and 30 PwC partners and staff had been involved in sharing the confidential information. Yeah, which totally contradicted what he'd said, what he'd said a, few <laughs> weeks, uh, a, a few weeks earlier. And there's a couple of very determined senators that made sure that stuff got tabled and from then uh, they, they, they were toast, you would think. But still then CEO Tom Seymour, well, now ex-CEO, mm. <laughs> talked about this as just being a perception issue. <laughs> well, yes. It spread worldwide, didn't it? became a global story, yeah, yeah. And I, I think there's some real lessons here for consultants and governments who now rely on the private sector, having shrunk their own departments, um, having their dependency on consultants whose motives might be quite different Correct. to being in the public service yeah. exist. Uh, yeah, but, but hang on, we, aren't, we, aren't we private consultants, Mark? I mean, I mentioned before that... Keep employing the communications consultants, but you know, maybe have a hard look at the other guys. Oh, but, yeah, but we don't we don't play both sides of the fence. <laughs> no, do that's we? true. No, all, absolutely. All not. our clients are as pure as the driven snow, aren't they? Yeah. So it looks like yeah. Congratulations to PwC on on winning this year's Brown Eye uh, Icon Reputations Award for the most poorly handled crisis. Uh, of, I'm not sure year. if that it'll go in their pool cabinet, mate. It's not the most attractive uh, of uh, of trophies. Rather, rather, rather realistic. But uh, <laughs> uh, but mate, that's that's it for for us and reputation eye for the year. And that's this for for this episode. But we'll see you next time. Up, up the, the creek. creek.